milk minute milk This is Maureen Farrell and Heather O'Neill and this is the Milk Minute. We're midwives and lactation professionals bringing you the most up-to-date evidence for all things lactation so you can feel more confident about feeding your baby, body positivity, relationships, and mental health. Plus, we laugh a little or a lot along the way. So join us for another episode. Welcome to another episode of the Milk Minute Podcast. Today, we are going to talk about occupational therapy and speech pathology therapy with some specialists from one of our local NICUs. Yeah. So did you even know that those people existed in the NICU to help your baby learn how to suck and prevent sucking and feeding issues? I mean, I I didn't. I'm going into this blind, Heather. I had no idea. (laughs) I mean, I honestly didn't know the extent of it. And I am so glad that they spent the time with us because everybody who is in the NICU needs to know what's going on, including NICU nurses and labor and delivery nurses who might be sending a baby to the NICU. The more people that know about this that can help support their supportive measures is going to be amazing and better outcomes, better knowledge had by all. So today we are interviewing Katie Fluharty, who is a speech-language pathologist, and we're interviewing Megan Martino, who's an occupational therapist, and they work together in a team in the NICU. But before we get into our interview with these two lovely ladies, we're going to do a listener question, and then at the end, make sure you stick around for another award in the alcove, because you never know, the award might go to you. Okay. So our question today is from Holly. Holly says that her oldest daughter had a tough time nursing. Lactation consultant said she had a tongue tie, but the pediatrician and ENT said she didn't. Now the baby is uh, four and has trouble with certain sounds in her speech and really didn't start communicating until the last year. So that sounds frustrating. (laughs) And Holly says, I don't know who to believe It's so frustrating. And if the lactation consultants were correct, is that what's impacting her speech? We're with you because the reality is that the research on this is still out. When we look at kids who have speech issues, a lot of them have tongue or lip ties. But when we look at a large population of babies with tongue or lip ties, not all of them have speech issues later. Right. And it seems just very provider driven as far as preference. Um, A lot of their own personal history with their patients, like maybe they had been releasing tongue ties and then saw that some of those kids were developing speech issues. So they refrain from doing that. And that's their personal provider choice. So we're really with you on the frustration. There's not a lot of experimental stuff out there because we're not going to snip people's tongues to see if we are going to give them a speech impediment. (laughs) So, you know, Let's get into the interview and see yeah. if we can if we can deduce anything from what these NICU specialists are going to tell us. But Holly, hang in there. I do know that the community speech language pathologists that work with older children are magical. And I know a lot of people that are experiencing great results having those therapies. So hang in there, keep us posted if you need anything. And yeah, let's let's mm-hmm. talk to these two gals and see what's going on. 
Heather, can I take a minute to tell you about Happy Tummy? Oh, I really wish you would. <laughs> Happy Tummy has natural products to help resolve the symptoms of colic, gas, or constipation for babies. Oh, well that sounds great for babies that just are constantly in pain and discomfort from tummy troubles. And it happens. You know, as your baby is adjusting mm -hmm. to its new environment, its tummy's gonna get upset sometimes, just like yours or mine. Yeah, and these products are natural and external, so no drops or drugs. Oh, don't even get me started on the gas drops. <laughs> so if you're interested in that, you can look up these wonderful soft tummy wraps for baby. They combine heat and herbal treatment, and honestly, they're wonderful. I want one for me, and if you want one for you too, they have adult products too. No way. Yeah. That's awesome. My cramps have been a little bit <laughs> much lately. Absolutely. So how do I get one? Head over to happytummy.com and use our discount code MILKMINUTE10 for 10% off. Oh, thank you. I'm going to go buy myself a menstrual cramp wrap. Mm -hmm. Make your tummy happy. Mm, such <laughs> a happy tummy. Without further ado, let's meet our guests. My name is Megan Martino, and I'm an occupational therapist. I currently practice in a neonatal setting. Um, we work closely with the speech-language pathologist in the area of feeding, and that includes breastfeeding and bottle feeding in that population. And with feeding, we're looking at kind of all of the things that have to come together to make feeding successful for a tiny developing person. Um, and for the caregiver, so mom, dad, grandma, whoever that is. So I'm Katie Fluharty. I'm a speech-language pathologist, um, and I work with Megan in a neonatal intensive care. And we, we do frequently work together, just in general, facilitating the development of newborns and um, preterm babies. My biggest focus for these little ones is pre-feeding. So feeding starts before you put a bottle or a baby to the breast, especially with a preterm baby. And then once they do start feeding, it's just helping them to learn these feeding skills and to also facilitate family comfort and family education and providing feeding to, to the little ones. So that's really, really interesting. And I have to be honest, I didn't really know that. I didn't know that that was even an option that you could start working as a speech language pathologist before they even have a bottle in their mouth or any kind of feeding is happening. So, you know, if I didn't know that, then there's a very good chance that most of our listener base didn't know that. So this just further proves that we needed to have this conversation today. So thank you both for being here. We're glad to be yes. here. We're excited. Yeah. So we know that you guys generally work together in the NICU, but do you think you could give us a quick differentiation between what a speech language pathologist does versus OT with infants? Yes. In the neonatal intensive care unit, we you are correct. We are very uh, cohesive as a developmental therapy team. Um, so there's a lot of overlap in our disciplines across the board. With feeding, frequently as an OT, I will look at how is the baby positioned? Can we make it better so that both mom and baby are more comfortable, are more ergonomically positioned, that we make the flow better for the baby in terms of the position of the baby or the position of the mom? 
And as a speech language pathologist, um, of course, first and foremost, the thing that we're, we're looking at is safety of feeding and swallowing. We're looking for signs of aspiration or as the baby is feeding, any, any chance of the liquid going into the lung. So that's the biggest difference, I think, between she and I is, is looking at aspiration and her focus is more on positioning. You know, we use a lot of the same strategies to help those things, but we're just looking at it in different ways so that we can make sure that the baby is feeding as successfully and comfortably as, as possible. Because what we don't want is the feeding experience for baby, first and foremost, but also for mother to be uncomfortable or difficult because we're teaching these babies these skills for the first time. And they're going to learn that if this is an unpleasant experience, they're not going to want to do it. And same thing with the mothers, you know, or, or caregivers. If, if it's very difficult, if the baby has really struggles, it affects their self-esteem for feeding the baby. And then it can also make them afraid. So like Megan said, it's just really protecting that mother-baby dyad as well for feeding. Wow. You know what? That makes so much sense that you guys would work together. And I feel like working as a team, even we don't work directly together during lactation consults, but we consult each other all the time because it just sometimes she has a different idea than I have. And I know you guys are both also certified lactation counselors, correct? Yes, we are. So how about with those parents that are trying to breastfeed for the first time? And what are some of the things that you guys are working on together as a team trying to get that baby at the breast for the first time? And what, like from a CLC perspective also? The first thing I'll say is that a lot of times for us, because a lot of these babies we get consults on and they're at the very early stages. So some of them are on a higher requirement for oxygen. So they're not always feeding orally. Most of the time they're starting with a feeding tube. At that stage, we're looking again at pre-feeding. So we're looking at really encouraging mother to be present, lots of skin to skin. And just like you can do non-nutritive with a pacifier, you can also do non-nutritive at the breast. So while that baby is skin to skin, putting the baby to the breast, letting the baby root around, letting them lick, even letting mom express a little bit of the the breast milk to the baby's lips and letting them get a taste of that. So all of those are really good pre-feeding things that, that we're often doing very first. I'm glad that you mentioned just letting the baby lick at the nipple and expressing little drops of milk because... I don't think people realize what a big win that actually is when you're in that situation. And if you don't have the cheerleader team around you like you all provide, you can feel like a failure. And I swear half of our job is just telling people that they're okay. So I'm going to like steer us over a little bit to a hot topic here. Um, Let's talk about tongue and lip ties because this is like the... The hot topic, elephant in the room, you know, everybody who has a breastfeeding problem goes here first. (laughs) Yeah, I'm like, where do I even start with this? (laughs) I guess, you know, uh, just so the whole episode isn't about this, I'm going to try to focus. (laughs) But, you know, we deal with a lot of parents who say they'll, they'll get a diagnosis, they'll get a revision, and then they're kind of like, okay, we're done, right? And they're shocked to learn that that's not the end of the process. 
Um, so I wanted to kind of pick your brains about what the period of relearning a latch looks like and some exercises we can do and things like that. So it, it is because the baby has learned how to suck with limitation of, of the tongue tie. So, you know, motor planning and muscle memory, it's a retraining period for them to figure out where, where to start and, and how to do that. Oftentimes, and again, in the NICU setting, we do see some of these kids, um, but often once they get their revision, they're pretty close to going home. So we don't do a whole lot of the therapeutic end of things, like once the revision is done and, and they're discharged, you know, what happens after that? But speaking from the standpoint of, of feeding in the NICU with a tongue tie, we'll identify it, talk with the physicians. If we really feel like it's affecting functionality, then um, ENT is sometimes consult, consulted. And then, of course, the medical providers make a decision as to whether it's, it is released or not. Once it's released, we try to see them with oral feedings to just really look and see what are they still having issues with? What is that tongue doing? What's it look like while they're latching? Are they still having difficulty getting lip seal or getting that tongue really cupped up around there? And how do we, if they are, how do we provide them support to improve those things? And, and oftentimes we go back to just providing them with cheek support and chin support and allowing them to, to feel and to practice what it's, what it's like to get that tongue into the appropriate position for feeding and, and latching onto the nipple. I just quick interrupting question, but I've never seen this before. So what does that cheek and chin support actually look like? Can you describe that to us? Yeah. So basically what you're doing, um, and oftentimes with chin support, what we're doing is with one of the fingers, oftentimes your middle finger, while you're holding the bottle, you're using that little bit of upward pressure to really make sure that the, the jaw and the lips and the tongue are getting a good seal. Because we know that with bottle feeding and with breastfeeding, in order to get that milk to really start to flow, you have to have a negative oral pressure or you have to have a vacuum basically in the mouth um, to really make sure that that milk starts to come out. And if there's any little bit of of air that gets in there, it oftentimes allows them to not get that milk to flow as easily as, as it should. So they often um, have a little bit of a harder time getting latched on and getting that milk to flow, and it requires a lot more energy for them to feed. So with the chin support, you're just, again, with the middle finger kind of providing a little upward pressure on their chin. And then with cheek support, that's where Often we, we get into a lot of positioning changes with forefeeding because it takes a lot more to provide them cheek support. And if you're you're trying to provide them chin and cheek support, I mean it's like it's like a, a puzzle with your fingers sometimes. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it really is. So especially, especially if you're breastfeeding, because then yeah, you have a breast kind of in your in your space too, and you have to figure out how to get your hand you know, under baby's chin and around the cheeks and around your own breast. So it, it, it's tricky and it takes a lot of practice, which is what we stress to moms all the time. 
like we, especially with the bottle feeding, obviously we're not going to breastfeed your child in the NICU, but with bottle feeding, especially we say we, we have fed hundreds of babies. We have done this hundreds of times. So if you feel like you feel funny or you look funny doing it, it's okay. There is a complete learning curve and you're going to get this and we are going to help you. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. You know, what I have found uh, with the breastfeeding after, and these aren't NICU babies per se, but with an infant that has a tongue tie released and then I get a call for a private consult and the mom is like, this baby doesn't know what to do with my nipple at all. Like, they're just kind of like all over the boob. Um, So what I found is the biggest challenge, but also the the fix most of the time is trying to get that nipple to touch the roof of the mouth to trigger them to actually suck. Where, you know, the bottle, it's easy to kind of angle that nipple and touch the roof of the mouth and the baby's little primal brain is like, oh, I'm supposed to suck on this thing. But trying to get that nipple up there is so hard sometimes, especially if you're transitioning from bottle to breast and your breasts aren't being used that way all the time. And Right, or especially if we have flatter nipples that won't evert until there's a suck, then it's, right. yeah, it's a challenge. Yeah. And, like, yeah. I always tell parents to, you can put your finger in your baby's mouth mm-hmm. and feel yeah. what the tongue is doing. You know, if they're yeah. biting your finger, that's a problem. Like, no wonder yeah. your nipple feels like it's going to fall off. Like, tell me what's going on. And, you know, with the pandemic, we've had to do it virtually. So I'm trying to get really good with my verbal cues about, (laughs) tell me what you're feeling on your finger from your baby's tongue. And they're like, wow, this is hard. (laughs) Yeah, it is. And often when we see a baby for their initial evaluation, that's that's my favorite way to assess non-nutritive suck is by using my finger because you it's completely different to stick the pacifier in their mouth you can't feel it you know you can imagine what it it looks like and what their tongue's doing in there but you you can't feel it so it definitely is very helpful to to use your finger and to actually know what that tongue is doing so that you can provide support if you need to yeah and i mean that's what i do in every newborn exam you know, just because we want to assess where they're at with suck. And every one of our listeners out there can do that. You know, you want to stick your finger in so the pad of your finger is up on baby's palate, kind of like slips right in there. And usually, you know, you can follow the palate back. There's a little dip it fits in. And once you hit that, baby will start sucking. Hopefully. Right. Baby should start (laughs) sucking then. And then if they're not, maybe that's a good time to engage um, a speech pathologist or um, occupational therapist. Yeah. At that point, it's kind of like phone a friend. Yeah. You know, if you're at home <laughs> and your baby's losing weight and can't figure out how to suck on your finger, then yeah. I, can't, I can't tell you what your nipple's going to do that evening when the baby right. is starving. So, you know, for these kids that maybe they're in the NICU and they have a little bit of a tongue tie, ENT's consulted and they decide not to do a revision. Are there certain things that you do to increase mouth mobility, you know, beyond the cheek support? Like, do you do the stretching? Because a lot of families have questions for us, like, should I be stretching this frenulum? And we're like, we're like, oh, no. (laughs) So to be completely honest, that's not something that I do. And again, a lot of it is because our experience with tongue tie is is pretty limited to just those kiddos that have one and then really just figuring out what can we do to help them as far as facilitating improvement in their feeding. 
So um, again, we're just looking more at, at what supports that they might need to help with the latch and to help them learn an organized um, nutritive suckle. And then, so really, we don't do a lot of stretching. I know from looking at some of the research, they do say um, that doing some just lingual range of motion is beneficial, which is okay in an older child um, who can follow a little bit of just a direction, especially if you show them what they need to do. But in a baby, that's that's difficult. So when when I think about lingual range of motion for some of these kids, you're going to do more of like like a massage or or making sure that the baby doesn't build up scar tissue those sorts of things. If so it's been it, released. Yeah, if it's been released so that they so they don't re-adhere or build up scar tissue. And then otherwise, just continuing to encourage and practice non-nutritive sucking. Um, we know that nutritive and non-nutritive sucking are not exactly the same, but, but there is some things that can carry over and there is benefit to providing them with practice for non-nutritive sucking to help facilitate nutritive sucking. Yeah. And I think that's a good point to make because we have so, so much of our cultural messaging says, don't let your baby use you as a pacifier, (laughs) which, you know, we have lots of opinions on, but for a lot of babies, that non-nutritive sucking is very important for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think we hear that a lot in the NICU because a lot of these babies can't they're not going to be feeding for weeks sometimes so you know providing them with positive stimulation is a good thing so you know that we we do use the pacifier a lot in the NICU but it's more out of necessity than than it is you know just to keep the baby quiet yeah can we yeah let's talk about some of the tools that you guys use and how you pick them so maybe since we're talking about pacifiers i i mean as as a nurse that's worked in the NICU before i know it's usually the straight nipple are there ever times that you choose a different pacifier and why so we often talk to the family about what's their plan when they're going to go home um because we do use um just the straight pacifier, straight nipple on the pacifier, um, because that's what we're supplied with. And then also the bottles that we use are just just throwaway ones that look very similar to the pacifier with the straight nipple. So as part of, you know, my initial evaluation or when I very first meet the family, my question is, is what is your plan for baby for feeding when you go home? Do you want to exclusively breastfeed? Are you going to breastfeed and bottle feed? Are you okay with a pacifier? Because some some parents don't want their baby to have a pacifier for different reasons. So, and kind of get those ideas from them. And often what we try to do is keep everything consistent. You know, if they're going to be, uh, mom's plan is that she wants to breastfeed and she wants to use a ma'am or a nook bottle. What I would say is just, be consistent, keep putting baby to breast, keep doing your skin to skin and encourage them to bring in a pacifier that is very similar to what they would use once they go home. Yeah. And also side note, if you're going to bring a ma'am or a nook, bring 10 of them. 
because right. when the nipple falls on the floor, when the pacifier <laughs> falls on the floor, you don't want to have to wash it and reuse it because that's gross because it's a NICU. Yeah. It's not your house. Right. So yeah. make right. sure there's 10 of them so your plan can be followed through with. Even if your baby chucks it for the sixth time that week and the nurses are like, little Brian, I'm so sick of your crap. <laughs> Quit throwing your ma'am over the overboard. And then I had a question. Maybe you can uh, confirm or deny. Uh, I think I read this somewhere, but you know brains. So I heard that the fast flow nipples were actually created for NICU babies at first. So they didn't have to work as hard to get the milk out. So back in the day, you know, when they were like, oh, we can make different nipples. Have you read that? Am I crazy? And can you bring us up to speed now as to why you try to stay away from the faster flows? Uh, sure. I would not be surprised in the least bit if you have read that somewhere, because that I think is a huge mis misconception, even within people who are care providers in the NICU that faster flow is better because the baby doesn't have to work as hard to get the milk out. That is complete fallacy for multiple reasons. Primarily because we're in the NICU, we're working with tiny developing brains. So we're not talking about even a 38 to 40 week newborn person. It's all of these pathways in the brain are being laid as they are in the NICU developing so they cannot, 99% of the time, manage a fast flow nipple. That's, that, that would be like you standing in front of a fire hose and being like, here you go, drink this. So we, we like to protect that tiny developing brain that is laying all of those really awesome pathways that is learning about feeding by just slowing it down. Um, especially with bottle feeding. Breastfeeding is so magical in that like mom's body just like knows and adapts to what the baby is doing so often. I mean, I know 100% of the time it doesn't work that way, but um, especially for newborn babies, it just seems to be like breastfeeding is just, just magical in terms of so many things, but flow especially. So when we're, we're going, we're transitioning back and forth between breastfeeding and bottle feeding, we certainly want to start the baby with a slow flow, not only to help that tiny developing brain, but to protect breastfeeding, to just slow it down. That's usually, if we're, if we're coming in to do a feeding assessment, that's no, my number one go-to go most of the time is, what are we eating on? Do we need to slow it down? Yeah, because here's the thing. I don't even want non-NICU babies to use a fast flow because it impedes breastfeeding. They don't want to wait. Their little brains don't understand what full means in, in the correct time frame that they should be feeling that. So who in the heck is the fast flow nipple for anyway? Yeah. I don't know. That's a great question. It's, it's for yeah, Maureen. <laughs> when Maureen wants to chug out of a bottle, right. it's for her. Yeah, yeah there you go. <laughs> So why should parents not get freaked out when they see you working with their baby? Because anytime a parent sees a new care team member, they're like, oh, God, what's wrong? What's going on? So what do you say to these people when they're like, oh, one more person working on my baby? And they start right. flipping out. So we, we try to meet parents as soon as possible in the NICU, whether you have a 23-weeker and they're two days old or you have, you know, a... 41 weaker. 
um, we try to meet them as soon as possible. And my go-to with parents is who I am and why I'm there. And I am not here because there is something wrong with your baby. I am here to help support your baby's development so that they can do all of their really great baby things and you can take them home. So I think just trying to kind of put parents at ease saying, I'm here to help your baby be the best baby that they can be is, is really a jumping off point. And then just telling them, these are the things that we're going to work on in therapy while you're in the NICU. I think parents have very valid questions about, oh my gosh, what's going on? Is this normal? Is this abnormal? And oftentimes it, it falls well within the realm of normal for that child's development. So I think reassurance and reinforcement that what parents are doing at the bedside um, is great. And just being like that cheerleader. Yeah. And two, you know, because sometimes parents are afraid yes. to do things with the baby. So um, it's it's not the same feeling, even if you've had another child before that, it's, it's not the same feeling and the same comfort level. So it's really just saying, hey, we're here. Let, let us help you do this the first time because it's more important for you to do it than me to do it. But I want to be here to support you and let you know that you can do it. That's awesome. And I, I think a lot of listeners think of our podcast as just breastfeeding, which most of it is geared towards breastfeeding, but there's the majority of people end up giving a bottle at some point, Mm -hmm. whether supplemented by order or because they end up with a NICU baby that they didn't plan on. And, you know, it happens. So we're so glad to have this resource for people. And, you know, if somebody is looking at their new NICU baby today, what is the one thing that you want them to take away from this? It's going to be okay. This is a very, very scary and stressful time, and you will probably remember 3% of your entire NICU stay, but we as NICU staff love your baby, and we want to see your baby grow from this little tiny peanut to a little bit bigger peanut and go home with you. So we know this is scary, and we know that you're afraid and stressed out, but it's going to be okay, and we're here to help you. And it's okay to have those feelings. Yes. You know, because sometimes they don't want you to know they have those feelings. They want you to think that they're fine. But it's it's okay to have those feelings. It's okay to talk about those feelings. It's okay to ask for help. Because, again, you know, you being at your baby's bedside and you taking care of them is your way to bond with them during that time. So just be there and and learn and ask for help when you need it because that's what we're there to do. That makes me want to cry. That's exactly what I would want to hear if I was <laughs> if I just had a NICU baby. I would want to know that there was a team like you guys who actually cared about what was going to happen after they got home and made sure that you were preserving that journey along the way as all these different medical decisions were being made. So thank you for all that you are doing for our NICU babies in West Virginia. Thank you. It was wonderful to be here. Yes, thanks for having us. Maureen, did you know that any time I've ever tried a lube in my life, my vagina reacts like it's mad at me? 
Yeah, you have mentioned that to me before. Yeah, I had, I used to call it AVD, angry vagina disorder. <laughs> but the good news is I actually found a product that I really love, and this is serious. I'm not joking. This is not just something that I am saying to say on an ad. I love Uber Lube. It's a natural product that does not have any like artificial anything in it and it works with your body and it actually lasts a pretty long time if you know what I mean. Um, yes, I do know what you mean. And <laughs> I know that our listeners need lube kind of more than anything in the postpartum. Like, breastfeeding is a dry time, guys. Yeah, and it's not your fault. That's kind of a normal side effect of breastfeeding, but it doesn't mean your relationship has to suffer. No. Or even your relationship with yourself. Yeah. So get yourself some Uberlube by clicking the link in the show notes, or you can go to uberlube.com and enter the promo code MILKMINUTE. Happy lubing, everyone. All right, welcome to our Awards in the Alcove. Whoop, whoop. This week, we have two awards because y'all hit the same milestone. So we're going to give an award to both TJ and Gabriella for making their 12-month breastfeeding goal. Yeah, so happy 12 months to you both. And I don't know, maybe your babies were born on the same day. Oh, that'd be so cute. But I think we should give you guys the year-long hero award. Oh, the year-long hero. You've been your baby's hero for an entire year, and there's no booby that they love better. So congratulations to you two, and we couldn't be more proud of you. Keep up the great work, and send us a picture. Yeah. If you guys have a breastfeeding win that you want to share, you can always email us at milkminutepodcast at gmail.com and put in the subject line, my breastfeeding win. Bye-bye. See you later. Thanks for listening to The Milk Minute. If you haven't already, please like, subscribe, and review our podcast wherever you listen. If you'd like to support our podcast, you can find us on Patreon at patreon.com slash milkminutepodcast. To send us feedback, personal stories, or just to chat, you can send us an email at milkminutepodcast at gmail.com. It's a minute!